You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's great to have your company for another fabulous interview with a fabulous guest. Karen Morley is on today's show and she answers one of the golden questions, what makes a great leader? As far as Karen is concerned, great leaders are coaches, and she's here to tell you how you can be a fantastic coach for the people you lead. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Karen Morley. Karen Morley, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you, David. Karen, you have written a book, Lead Like a Coach, Let's cut to the chase. Why is coaching such an important part of being a leader? With all the things leaders have to do, why is coaching the most important? I think it's certainly one of the most important, I guess, styles that leaders need to be using. And one of the reasons for that is that it's an antidote to the 24-7, 365 kind of pressures that many organizations and leaders are under. So, It's a way of putting the brakes on that. And I also think the reason for putting the brakes on and the reason that coaching is really important is that it is much more engaging and inspiring for people because when you're coaching, you're actually focusing on the person in front of you. You're being empathic. You're finding out what are their needs, their interests, what are their skills, how do they need to develop. So people are much more responsive to that. And that's a way of then engaging people in um, doing better work, getting more work done, and in building their skills for the future. So if we're not leading like a coach, all the things that you just described then sound good. What are we doing if we're not focusing on the person, if if we're not using this antidote to the 24-7 pressure that so many people feel in the modern workplace, what is it that we are doing? I think that what a lot of leaders are doing is getting caught up in the time pressure. There are so many things to do. So they go into meetings, many meetings, they have an agenda and they're thinking about all of the things that need to be done. You know, their leaders are expecting them to do lots of things. Yeah. And so what they're doing is focusing very much in first person. They're coming up with the answers. They're pushing to solution. There's not necessarily a lot of discussion. It shuts down creativity. And I think that leaders don't want to do that, but at the same time, they're responding to the authority of the organization. So I think that pressure means that what they end up doing, despite good intentions, is controlling too much, you know, coming up with too many of the answers and the solutions. And as as you said, in a a lot of cases, in in a lot of the observations that I've made, I see leaders kind of acting like the next level down of their leader, the person who's their boss. They take that style with them. And if it's that cut and thrust, back to back meetings, quick decisions, snappy way of talking, that's how leaders will lead their direct reports in turn. So you identified that, that just sort of mimicking the expectations of their own leaders and they're thinking about Mm. things, the stuff that needs to get done, the next item, the next push, rather than the people who it is that are meant to be delivering that. Mm. All right. So how well do we do this? When you move around different organizations, different industries, different workplaces, and you observe leaders and 
and their coaching styles or or not, whatever the case may be, in general, are we pretty good at doing this? Do we have a pretty good understanding when we move into leadership positions that coaching is a really important part of what we do? Look, I don't think so. Not not enough in any case. I think that a lot of people, uh, when they move into leadership roles for the first time or they move into more senior leadership roles, they still expect to function as experts. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason often that they've been promoted into leadership roles because they are very good at what they do. They're very responsive to the organisation. They're good organisation citizens and they're very good at knowing and coming up with the answers. And I think that there are some organisations who are very good at letting people know what changes when they become a leader and when they move up the leadership mm. levels. But I think a lot of organisations don't. So. I think we don't pay enough attention to the profession of leadership and what it's different. There's a lot more is expected in terms of people finding their own way, people um, demonstrating their own authority. Um, So I, I don't think that there is enough attention paid to what leadership is and the different kinds of styles that are important and to how coaching fits into that. Some good exceptions, but not, yeah. not enough. Not enough. You've touched on something that is a recurring theme here on the podcast. That's that moment that someone becomes a, in air quotes, a leader. Really, what they become is a manager. The organization gives them a managerial role. The org chart says who they're in charge of, who their direct reports are. But people choose their leaders. So no one can bestow you. An organization mm. can't bestow that on you. It's people choosing to follow you. That's where you get leadership from. But in any case, that moment in someone's career when they move from being a technical expert, someone who's very good at doing something, into someone who manages those who are good at doing stuff or are are responsible for delivering stuff, that seems to be a make or break moment in people's career, doesn't it? Where Mm. some realize, okay, this is a new art. I've just now moved into a different discipline. I can't just be good at doing what I used to do. Now I need to be good at managing people who do that and hopefully even being a leader of people who do that. Whereas Mm. we see people resort back to that skill that got them there in the first place, not realizing, Mm. hey, there's a team of people who are doing that. That's not your job anymore. Your job is to be the leader. That ability to extract ourselves from what we find comfortable and familiar and what we've been an expert in is really difficult. Yeah, I agree. And I think you've um, identified one of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with and that does relate to this distinction between management and leadership. And I know it was a while back when I first started working in leadership development. And at that time, people were more likely to be managers and leadership was something that was a bit different. It wasn't necessarily about the role, but over time we have conflated those two things. Um, And so we talk about leadership when we're, as you say, we are really talking about management. And I think that what happens for people is there's a confusion also around authority. So people I think need to play quite lightly or managers need to play quite lightly with role status because too much, the use of too much role status is what ends up in controlling behavior and Mm. can become intimidating. Whereas they need to lead by using their own personal authority and to be able to make different kinds of decisions 
and move into, you know, areas where they don't know the answers or where they allow other people to come up with the answers. And they need to be able to do that with conviction. And so certainly when I'm coaching leaders, that's one of our big conversations around that, you know, distinction between management and leadership, but also thinking about different kinds of authority and and that you can be a bigger person and a bigger leader, if you like, if you allow other people to identify the solutions um, and that you're not worthless now mm, because yeah. you're not the person coming up with the solutions. You're not the person who has the answers or the right answers. It takes someone who's really comfortable in their own skin to ask mm. questions. A while back on the show, I had Corinne Armour who talks yeah. about leaders who ask. ask. I don't know if you yep. know Corinne's I work. I do, yes. And uh, she talked about the importance or, or actually the courage that it takes or the the confidence that it takes to be a leader who asks rather than a leader who just tells. Because a leader who just tells is slipping back into that being that expert doer where a leader who asks is actually a leader and they're mm. developing the people around you because there's that amazing chemical connection that happens with someone when you ask them to think for themselves rather mm. than just give them the answer. And I'm sure we can all remember times in our life where we've been put on the spot and forced to think something through, which maybe we were used to just being spoon-fed the answers. It's mm. a really powerful experience. Mm. All right. So listeners, we've asked Karen to come along with her top five tips for being an awesome coaching leader. So we're going to get to those really soon. But Tell us in your experience, Karen, before we get to those top five, what do we see in a workplace or in a team where leaders are fantastic coaches, where they get this concept that you're talking about? They understand the difference between being a manager and being a leader. They take the time to work with their people and they have the self-confidence and the skills, no doubt, to do it. What sort of an organization or what sort of a team are we seeing? I think we're seeing a team that is much more focused on development, where the development of skills and capabilities is a primary focus. And you've mentioned that you know leaders being able to step back and not necessarily answer all of the questions. What happens with coaching leaders in their teams is that they create a lot more innovation. So there's an opportunity when people play off each other, there isn't one right solution for this there isn't one right course of action, we might come up with five or 10 that are great possibilities and new ways of doing things. So I think there's a lot more development and I think that there's also a lot more innovation. I think, in, again, you mentioned that whole focus around empathy and by being uh, empathetic towards others, it's a great way to influence people. So I think that there's a lot more power that the leader can have in terms of influencing people around the, the work that they do and the actions that they take. I think one of the things that's really interesting about coaching, in my book I have focused fairly much on the hierarchical coaching approach, but yeah. also talk about coaching cultures. And I think that that's a really big opportunity to look at the use of coaching across the organisation. And I am working with some organisations where that's the case. So we can focus on peers using coaching skills with each other. And that's another great way of relieving some of the burden on leaders. They don't have to be, you know, tasking everyone. They don't have to be coaching everyone and the only people with that responsibility, but people can be coaching each other. And so there's an opportunity for everybody 
to have those developmental conversations and to have those innovative conversations. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. Peer-to-peer coaching. I, I don't need to be your boss to be coaching you. I, I just need to have something to offer you and a good relationship with you and an element of trust in our relationship and the skills to do it. It's a beautiful picture you paint. And it's a beautiful picture you paint when you talk about skills and the development of skills and capability being the focus and the results of which are innovation and people feeling great about themselves professionally because they're learning and growing and we all mm. want to learn and grow and get better. It gives us hope for the future, all mm. of that fantastic stuff. And it's so true and I agree with every bit of it. And when I was reading your book, I, I'm, I'm just sitting there saying, yes, this is great. But there is this great big devil sitting on my shoulder mm-hmm. who is the person who's experienced so many organizations in so many industries and every industry I've ever worked with think they're the busiest industry of them all, especially their frontline staff. And I know so many people, if they even took the time, and that's questionable, but mm. so many people in leadership roles, if they took the time to engage with your concepts, they would say, that all sounds great, Karen, but I've got a hundred things to do today and only time to do 50 of them. My staff are already behind and they're not delivering and the boss has just changed their mind. So a hundred hours of work has just gone down the gurgler. And I know the boss's boss is on his case to start start making a mark so that they can both look good to the board. All of that stuff that you've heard mm. a million times before. What's the answer? We know rationally and we know as development people and as learners that if you take the time to sharpen your sword, you're better at cutting down trees. But mm. tell that to a busy organisation. Mm. Yeah, and some organisations and some managers, let's say, rather than leaders, aren't interested in having that conversation. But a lot are, and increasingly I think they are, because for those people who can see that you know we need to change the system, we need to change the way that we're working, maybe the pressure's don't go away from organizations, but how we respond to them can be different. So I would say to those people, if they if they are interested in changing things, if they are interested in relieving some of the pressure that they're feeling, that they need to take it just one day at a time and one conversation at a time. I think if you're going to sit down and have a coaching conversation with someone where you're opening up to uh, their suggestions and their background and their experience and thinking differently. They are conversations that can take longer, at least initially. So I think that one of the things that I've focused on in the book is talking about coaching conversations. So you can have a coaching or you can use a coaching style in a corridor conversation. So someone's walking past you and they say, oh, okay, what about X? What should I do? Instead of saying, do this, you can actually say, what do you think you should do? What are the options that you might consider? And you might have a five-minute conversation about that, but you've really shifted the way you're engaging. And the response, the action is potentially different as well. So I think that if leaders are concerned about time, and I can really understand that it is a big concern, then stop thinking about coaching as a big thing and thinking about coaching, micro-coaching, coaching coaching in small moments. 
And just instead of going with one solution, asking and just feeding it into their conversation in small ways and seeing what the response is. I mean, I think that in organisations that are constantly driving, they're not delegating enough. And I think you might say, and I hear this quite a bit from people, my people are already busy. Are they doing the right thing? What do you really know about the approach? Are they making the same mistakes today and tomorrow as they made yesterday? What's actually happening? Are there different ways if people started talking together differently, they might come up with some new solutions, some new options for how they do their work? So I think that it really is about unpicking that and continuing to ask questions. I tell you what, Karen, you did a pretty good job there. I thought I hit you with the impossible question, but you're absolutely right. If we just think about this as conversation to conversation, just slightly changing our approach rather than Mm. giving a 30-second answer to the question where the other person learns nothing and they just dutifully go off and follow your orders – Switch it to a five-minute conversation. It's just a few extra minutes, but a collection of those and a habit of those can really change the culture of you as a leader and the team that you lead and the people around you. And we all know how these things can spread across organizations. That's pretty good. That's pretty good, Mm -hmm. Karen. I don't mind that. That's a nice, simple answer. Just start changing it one conversation at a time. All right. Now, I'm going to let you lead the way in the next part because what we want to do is get to these five incredible tips that you're going to give me and the listeners so that we can go off and and start building our coaching skills. But at the same time, we want to kind of define what coaching is because we've been talking as if people mainly understand it, and I guess they do, but we want to define it along the way. So I don't know, maybe your five tips will We'll do the job of of defining it as we go, or maybe we we start with a definition of of how you see coaching. I'll follow your lead on this, Karen. Okay, I think that what I'll do is work through the five steps or the five key skills, and yep. I think that does provide a definition, and it summarizes a bit of what we've already been talking about as well. I think. Right. Um, Let's so do I it. think that yeah. So I think that coaching starts off with the ability to take second position. So instead of thinking about Mm -hmm. me and my, I'm thinking about you, your perspective, your background, your challenges and how you see this. So empathy is absolutely critical. And that's what we often lose in that fast paced sort of work environment. So we need to listen. We need to understand where the person comes from. One of the things that if we, as the leader, we're always asking the questions or we're, we're, sorry, answering the questions, telling people what to do, we actually don't know what they know. They may actually know, but, you know, they they think they need to ask for permission Giving first. them no chance. That's right. That's are they right. asking because so they don't, don't know, know or are they asking, asking for permission? Yeah, That's for a permission. really important yeah. point. Yeah. And I so remember, I think- you know, this- this first and second person position, I I used to be a, a teacher and a deputy principal, Karen, in a former mm-hmm. career. And I remember going on, along to an Education Queensland aspiring leaders workshop, and they covered this idea of first and second and third positions. And for me, it's one of those really powerful ones where you look at it and go, okay, this, that's not groundbreaking. There's no rocket science in that. Right. But just being able to put some language around that and realize that, hey, For a lot of us, and especially when we're under pressure, whether it's just time pressure or some other type of pressure, we do tend to look at the world from that first position, what we Mm. need when we're Mm. in almost survival mode, even if it is just time. But what a great leader can do, and this is what empathy is, 
no matter the situation, in fact, especially under pressure, to be able to think about the world from that second perspective, that second position, and that is the person that you're engaging with. And then, of course, the third position suggests, hey, if there was an independent objective observer of this Mm. interaction, what would they see? Because they can have a view of both people and the way both people are engaging. That's a really powerful one. And I remember Mm. the first time I I, I struck upon that language and it still sticks with me. I I remember the room I was sitting in when I I first learned it. I think it's uh, it is very simple, isn't it? Everybody can mm. understand it when you explain the model. But like you, I've found that it is incredibly powerful, and people kind of get it. And I ask um, the leaders that I coach to spend a bit of time reflecting on their days to think about well, how much time have I spent in first position today versus second mm. or third? And mm. the leader should spend time in third too, because then they're mm. actually reviewing the quality of the relationship and and what's going on. So if I'm stepping back from first into second and focusing on you and your interests, you know, does that actually help us get the work done and get the ideas created? So thinking at that helicopter perspective about that is also a part of what the leader should do. And I do remember someone who said to me once, I don't think I can do second. I don't think actually I've ever heard of second position before. Can you fake it? And I said, Uh well, you know, maybe you can if you're prepared to practice taking the position. Maybe you have to fake it in a way for a while. He wasn't necessarily convinced by that. So that was an interesting just, exchange. Or yes. you could just actually start caring what's going on for the other well, person. Yes. You won't have to fake it at all. You just tap Yeah, that into was them. the problem. All right. <laughs> he couldn't. So number okay, one so is taking one. the second yeah. position, you know, that's not right. me and Use my, but, but you. Great. Okay, yeah. good. What's number two, Karen? So that's empathy. So the next is humility and it's the asking questions. So absolutely aligned with Corinne, that, you know, really important focus for leaders as a part of coaching is to ask questions. Even if you know the answer, to still ask the questions. Because there's that great, like like we've already said, uh, that that great response that you get for someone who's used to being spoon-fed, who is expecting to be spoon-fed because that's the organization that they're working in. All of a sudden, you just turn it back and say, hey, what do you think? What would you do? What do you mm. think the next step is? What are the important things here? What is our priority in this situation? It's incredibly powerful. So that's great. Number two, humility. Number two. You need humility to ask those questions. Love it. Good. Correct. Keep going, Karen. Yes. And, I, and I'm yes. sorry, I keep slowing you down because it's very exciting. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I'm enjoying the conversation. So the next one that is associated with that is managing your need for status and power. I think that, uh, again, we've talked about this in terms of management versus leadership and role status versus personal authority. And I think that sometimes leaders can get a little anxious if they're not the person in charge, if they're not jumping in, if they're not the one, you know, being dominant and influencing Mm -hmm. others. So I think that it's really important. Some leaders do this very well, but for others, they don't. So managing their power and status needs is particularly important. And it's about having a more equal relationship and equal conversation with the person that you're coaching. Lovely. Great. The next one is about focusing on progress. So this 
I've been very influenced by the work of Teresa Amabile, who's um, a professor at Harvard, and she has done a lot of work looking at ordinary working days and the extent to which people are motivated, you know, to work harder or to create new ideas and how they feel generally about their work, what sense they make of what's going on. And so she talks about one of the most motivating things for people is to have a small sense of progress. It doesn't have to be about, you know, finishing the project, getting things done, but simply about being aware that today I made a small piece of progress. She talks about it like video gaming. So in video gaming, you know how many steps you need to take and you know where you're up to and you've got all of those wonderful sounds letting you know just where you're up to in the game. So in a sense, she says that leaders need to be doing that same thing so that they're managing the mood of the people around them as well as their own mood. And what they're doing is creating a work environment in which people can be motivated. And that means that they're more likely to get more work done, to choose to do more work and are more satisfied with that. So part of the leader's role in coaching, besides asking questions and listening and being aware of others, is to you know, point out when progress has been made to appreciate the work that's getting done and to do that in quite small ways. That's one of those ones, and, that, and that's a terrific one. I, I, I love that. Focus on progress. That's one of those ones that just makes, I mean, they all make sense, but this makes so much sense. Of course, someone who is working in any job, but especially a job where we're expecting them to think and be creative and take initiative and, and some innovation, of course, they want to see the results of their work. So if you're working in a service mm. industry and you just do this bit, wouldn't it be great sometimes to give your staff the opportunity to go for a visit in X number of months time and see the results of their work, for example? or whatever it might be, whatever piece of work, to see where it goes and the impact that it has. Because we all just want to make a difference. We all just want to be effective and and do something that's worthwhile. But in that cut and thrust of deliver, 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 of changing priorities and schedules and back-to-back meetings and overflowing inboxes, what kind of leader, a pretty good one, I imagine, what kind of leader has the presence of mind to take the time out to give their staff the opportunity to see what they've done, the progress that they've made, whether it's in their own development or in actually the stuff that they've delivered for a client. Hmm. Look, again, I don't think it's something that has to take very long at all. It's something that Hmm. should happen every day, small ways of noticing the progress that's being made. And I like that expression that Robert uh, Keegan has that giving appreciation is like pumping oxygen into the system. So just a little piece of recognition, a sentence or two kind of every day that talks about the progress that's being made might be enough for people to feel highly motivated that this is a really positive work environment. A lot of people still say to me that if I don't hear anything about how my work is going, then that's good because if I do yeah. hear how my work is going, hey, guess what? Oh. Ah, it's a problem. That's so a we really terrible need to state of affairs, that. isn't it? Yes, yes. And wow, uh, bad news that's... is much, much stronger than good news. So we actually need to be pumping a lot of appreciation into the system to counteract the negative messages. Yeah, that's great. That's that's a 
that's really good that you've pointed that out because that is so true. You, you know, there's so many people work in a situation where if they if they don't hear, then that's good because no one's yes. upset. What a terror! Yes. How terrible! All right, you now I'm told me I'm doing wrong. Yes. So the fifth. Yeah, are we up to number five? Hang on, we're um, up to number five, but I'm going to do a bit of a review. Number one was take the second position. Number two was have the humility to ask questions. Number three was managing our own need for status and power, not be so anxious to be in charge. Number four was focusing on progress, allowing our staff to see where their work goes or allowing them to see their own progress, their own development, keeps them motivated. And number five, Karen. Well, number five is a bit more, I guess, ordinary, if you like, because it's really about (laughs) making sure that you structure coaching into the daily routine. So getting very practical thinking at the beginning of the day when you're doing your to-do list, thinking about what you've got to do for the day, looking at the conversations that you've got coming up and just priming yourself to think about those conversations where you could take a coaching approach or even thinking about the people in your team or your peers, thinking about somebody that you want to give some appreciation to, somebody that you'd like to have a conversation with to generate some ideas. So it's about feeding in in quite tiny ways a different conversation, a different question. If you're walking with people between meetings instead of, you know, looking at your phone or um, mm. uh, something else, um, just thinking about asking a question instead. What did you planning think about that when this person said yeah. that? That's right, yeah. Or even yeah. just reflecting planning. on what happened here so that we can learn about the dynamics between, you know, conversations that work and perhaps those that don't work. Karen, they are five fantastic points. They're great tips. They're so accessible. They're easy to understand. They're things that we can all just get started. And I love that advice you gave early on. If it all seems so daunting and if we're too busy and the priorities are changing and we've got pressure on us from our boss, just find the time to expand those conversations. Switch it around from giving answers to asking questions and just see where it goes from there. And then at best, start doing those five things that you've just talked about because they're they're so powerful and they're so simple. Look, Karen Morley, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I love the whole topic. It's um it's absolutely fabulous. You've done a great job with the book and you've done an Thank even you. better job on the podcast. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, David. It's been a great conversation. Appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. And that was Karen Morley. I told you she was terrific. I love those tangible pieces of advice, the four things we can all do to be great leaders, great coaches. Number one, take the second position. Not me, my, but you. Ask questions, don't give answers. Number two, be humble. Number three, manage your own need for status and power. And number four, focus on progress. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Karen on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teams with an S slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.